0: Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com and on this podcast we have explicit and soulful conversations about every aspect of human sexuality. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com where you will find our complete podcast archive and while you are there go to PleasureMechanics.com free and sign up for our free online course the erotic essentials, so we can get you started with our favorite strategies and techniques right away. That's pleasuremechanics.com free. On today's episode, we are continuing our conversation with Joseph Kramer, PhD, my great erotic mentor and developer of erotic massage. In last week's part one of the interview, Joseph Kramer shared his story of growing up a gay Catholic boy, joining the Jesuit priesthood, and then leaving the priesthood after he received his first massage. Massage was an awakening that would take Joseph Kramer back into his body and launch him into his lifetime of erotic service. In today's interview, Joe continues his story and tells us about spreading erotic massage all around the world. Joe talks about his friendship with the great erotic artist, porn star, sex educator, Annie Sprinkle, and how they collaborated in their unique way to develop an erotic massage for the vulva. And he also talks about Chester Maynard, uh, my other great teacher, how they met and together Really developed and worked on the massage for the anus and prostate. So what we have here is a story of how these three erotic massages, erotic massage for the penis, for the vulva, for the anus and prostate, how all of those touch skills came together, and how Joe taught these skills to the world because I think what's so important to recognize about Joe's career is not only did he start the body electric school, and then the new school for erotic touch, not only did he start a profession called sexological body work that is now spreading around the world. But he also focused on creating media. He produced over 100 hours of erotic touch education. And he was early in the game. He was producing VHS videos of his classic erotic massage teachings. And those videos and then DVDs and now streaming media have trained hundreds of thousands of bodies. And his media in combination with his international teaching circuit means that Joe Kramer and his staff have trained so many of the sex educators we now know and love. So many Tantra teachers and sex educators and somatic sex educators. So many people who went on to live their lives and teach about sex and grow into professional sex educators learned their touch skills and embodiment work from Joe. So this is the story of Joe Kramer, Annie Sprinkle, Chester Maynard, three erotic pioneers who loved touch, who revered the body, who believed in erotic transformation, and who together developed a body of skills about how we can touch the most sensitive parts of the human body with love, with reverence, with respect, And as Joe says at the end of this interview, what happens when we put our attention on this most precious part of the human body? What happens when we put our life's attention on the erotic? Joe Kramer, Annie Sprinkle, and Chester Maynard are my three erotic mentors that brought me to start Pleasure Mechanics and gave me the gifts that I have spent my life sharing with the world. So I hope you enjoy this story of Joe Kramer traveling the world, meeting other erotic pioneers and setting into motion a lineage of erotic touch that would go on to massage the world into a more pleasurable place. Here is part two of my erotic lineage interview with Joseph Kramer. When did erotic touch and erotic massage start being taught in formal circles as part of body electric
1: the jesuits taught me the power of having a structure in which to work and like a school they they have schools everywhere so let's start a school so i using walt whitman's um wonderful phrase body electric which I had come to name this erotic awakening, the aliveness of my body, body electric. I go, I was looking for images that that matched what I was feeling. And so here the great American poet, Walt Whitman, the great American homosexual poet used that term body electric. And I go, I he he knew it too. He knew this feeling. So I started the school named it body electric, but I had no intention of that experience of eroticism being part of it. And, and I'd gone to five different massage schools. I'd taken classes in five massage schools. And some of them were really in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, and Oakland, and Berkeley, and they were blatantly, or less than blatantly, homophobic. Two men would never work together, you know, all this. And I thought there's a need for a place that's not a gay massage school, but it's, that is not homophobic. And so that was the idea of Body Electric, as well as, oh, this is what I want to do for my life. And so in 1983, I spent a year preparing. I took classes in anatomy. I pulled teachers together. Every week, I taught a different class for free or for cheap to learn to do face massage or to do feet massage or to do things. So I prepared for a year. In 1984, California gave me a license, an approval to teach massage and to certify masseurs. So that was 1984. What had happened starting in late 1981 in this area is it was the the beginning of the AIDS epidemic and New York and San Francisco were the two places where this was most prominent. And I'm 10 miles away from San Francisco and working with gay men. So in 82 and 83 and 84 until 1984, they didn't even know HIV. They didn't even know what was causing this. And it could be airborne or whatever. And so there's huge fear, especially around gay people. People uh, you know, didn't want to have gay men around them because these were the people who were getting sick and dying and had this plague. It was, uh, um, and I was touching gay men. And it was, it was an important time because they had fear and terror in their bodies. And I found how um, emotion and is, is contagious because I would feel it, but I would somewhat take it in, in, in giving sessions. So it was really important to shake this out. And I remember the first man, I, I found out he had AIDS and he'd been my, my regular client and I found out he had AIDS one week and he came back that week and I was scared to death to touch him. Um, and I remember after that massage, I, w- I went into my fear, but after that massage, I was never afraid to touch someone. And I knew this was not about, the AIDS was not about touch, that you couldn't, uh, even though one of the main manifestations then was these spots all over the body, carpalcy sarcoma, and that was really big. Um, so I felt, how can I be of service to what's happening? Because it was so crazy. So I, people who were of service to these people. I, when I started the school in 1984, I put out that they could come and take classes for half price. I would say several in each of my classes, and my short classes and longer classes, were people who work with people with AIDS. And so I started to get a feel and a sense of on a, di- on a different level of what was happening. And, Actually about a year later, 1985, I thought, you know, erotic massage is this blissful, it's almost my sexual preference. It's one of the main things I love doing. You know, do you wanna fuck, do you wanna suck? No, let's do erotic massage. And then we could do those other things, but let's start there. I've met a few since then, but I had never met anyone before that who touch was their major, their hands were their major sex organ, you know. Mm -hmm. But I guess maybe that was with me. Um, anyway, in 1985, I thought, I know ways that I know are safe, that gay men can have sex. So many men were continuing to get sick. and So I, I decided I was going to offer a class in erotic massage, a one-day class, and I did. And many of the people went into the same states as my individual clients. They had amazing experiences, transformative experiences. And I taught Taoism. I was really acupressure and Taoism was my system. And in Taoism, the goal is often for men not to ejaculate, to ejaculate as little as possible, which I didn't have any real context for, because I like to ejaculate also. But in the AIDS era, this is to put out that this isn't Taoist a practice. This is something that doesn't involve the fluid that it has HIV in it. So in 1986, I started teaching much more uh, classes. And by by that time, I called this massage that I was giving uh, Taoist erotic massage because I advertised, come and get a pleasurable massage that doesn't involve ejaculation. And so it was a teaching for most men. People came to me to looking for this experience of an orgasmic experience, a pleasurable experience, I erotic massage, and it involved breathing, erotic touch. It involved a whole body massage. I gave people a massage, uh, relaxed them, and in giving someone a massage, there's an attunement that happens, Uh, and there's a trust. They know how much they can trust and let go on this massage table and and how skilled they can feel, how skilled I am to be with them. And so there was a wonderful place to go from there into the erotic. And the erotic, especially masturbatory, is probably one of the most, it's so laden with habit. People get into the exact way to get the best experience and do it again and again. So some men masturbate the same way they did when they were 14. So my experience was helping people to get out of habit, teaching them breathing, which keep them present in their experience, spreading the feelings, the excitement throughout their body uh, beyond where they normally would. while giving a massage, one hand often was was doing other things. I'd be working on the the toe and the cock at the same time, and I called it double attention. That that sometimes the pleasure, the erotic pleasure, would that way of feeling would just go there to the other place, or I was spreading it out. I was waking up the tissue so these feelings could spread out, um, and so that was Taoist erotic massage. I and I knew it was powerful and I'd done these short classes. And then a man invited me. A man called me from New Mexico and said, I'm in a group of men, about 30 or 40 men, and we are friends and we're a network, communal network that has sex with each other. And this was, again, tied right into my experience. And he said, can you come and teach us some ways to have sex with each other that are safe, that are not, uh, we're not gonna get AIDS from. And I said, yes. And so I worked out this this structure for a two-day class with these people. That, That structure has been done a thousand times since then all over the world, and there still is a school teaching that structure, and it was just a class where the whole first day was play. It was, I started out with breathing in the morning. People did breath, and they had breath orgasms, and they're breathing their body, and they were naked. And uh, there were all kinds of exercise involving breath. I had drums that I would play. I had music that had rhythm in it, so people would get into group experiences. There were short experiences, longer experiences, different ways of breathing, so, and I would, I would guess that 90 plus percent of people in those classes had never done conscious breathing to that degree. But when you breathe naked and playing, um, there was a high that people got into. They were now into a communal embodied place as a group, naked, and, and uh, so many people have issues being naked, taking off clothes is rough, but after breathing, we're all in this, it's like, again, the Garden of Eden almost, or this paradise, someplace where we're beyond that. We got beyond that. So in the afternoon, so I did this thing called first touch, the first time somebody touched your penis. And you could be hard or soft, and there was, there was this, however they could get into it, or looking carefully at the penis and exploring it, and people telling each other about the, how they masturbate and the pleasurable parts of their penis, and showing and, and stroking. So it was an exploration of playfulness and breathing and arousal as much as possible, but not required, but arousal. Um, because another, ele- another level of this was that soft cock massage needs to be just as pleasurable and available. And if somebody's, not, if somebody's not hard, they have this. This is the days before Viagra and Cialis. But there's a judgment like I can't get hard. But people who are soft found the pleasures of soft cock. So we played in all these different realms for the afternoon. In my construction of this, I thought to really go deep into the erotic massage, we need f- breath, we need some comfort with bodies, and the communal, So at the end of the first day, I would say, we have now done 10% of where we're going to go in this weekend. Mm -hmm. And that was, there was always this statement like they were in, they had gone, most people had gone way beyond they'd ever gone in a playful, erotic way with men. By the way, the other thing was about beyond judgment and my type. So I had all kinds of exercises where you move to the next person. And so in the the exercises, everybody equally worked with everybody else. The big surprise for a lot of people is, oh, I don't want that person to touch me. And wow, they touch me better than anybody else. And so we saw that the visual, our visual type is not the best for our uh, somatic, our our sensual type. Then the second day, I did a Taoistrotic massage. And the way I did it was, um, and it was often an hour and a half to two hours. And there was a little bit of massage on the body, but less than 10 minutes. It was mostly genital and massage. So there was a massage of the back, 10 minutes maybe. Um, I had, everybody was at tables, and um, I would teach, I would demonstrate, show a stroke, very shortly, one minute, and say, try that on your partner, or these two strokes, and then play. And you have eight minutes. And they would do this and try and play, and they could talk, but for the most, they don't have to. And then at the end of the eight minutes, it's say goodbye to this person, and there was a movement to the next table. So in a massage, you got to touch a lot of people, maybe not everyone, depending upon how big the group was, but eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes, sometimes five minutes. And so a variety of men touched you and a variety of men you were touched by. Some people liked uh, to put blindfolds on. So it was about their experience and I highly recommended that. Um, And the goal in each of these, after I taught, try these strokes, then we all breathed together while they were starting to try the strokes. And I had drums, again, our music. And I can't, I, I am so lucky I took this class in breathing because breath is a way that keeps people present. And these classes wouldn't have worked without breath. It The breath just, uh, people often go away into thinking and judgment and and then it wouldn't go to the high place. When everybody stays there by breathing, it worked. Anyway, people would move from table to table. And at the end, there was just this, coming down just relaxed and that was the end and so I did that structure in New Mexico and it was exactly what those people wanted and I was invited back to New Mexico three times a year for the next three years Uh, and it was one of the places and I met people in New Mexico that became formative in my life and are still the closest just this morning, I was talking to somebody from that, from that experience. Um, I took a breath class, another breath class from somebody, and he taught me a thing called the big draw. And Mantok Chia has, in his book, had a thing called the big draw that I never got into. But this was a different version of the big draw, where you breathe and you're very intense. You're in the, the breathing. You feel the excitement in your body. And then you clench your body. You're lying down. You clench your butt, you clench your muscles, you hold, you take a deep breath and hold it for 20 seconds or 30 seconds and hold it and then relax. And this experience, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's a regular, it's experience people can have, they can breathe, breathe and try this, but it takes one very quickly from one state to another. You're in this pleasurable state, you're feeling erotic massage, you're feeling breathing, and all of a sudden you're in this it's almost like, I, I can say, like a psychedelic state. And everybody doesn't go to the same place, but people talk to their dead relatives, and dead friends, and people saw God. A lot of people saw God. A lot of people saw nothing. There was actually Buddhists who saw, I, I understand nothingness now. Um, but I found, and I knew people went to amazing places, because I did this one-on-one, but now it was happening in a group. and. Uh, so, and I, at the end of the Taoist Massage, I said, I would always say, would anybody like to share about this, about their big draw? Because they're, they're, they have this whole session, but that was the culmination. And uh, it became really, there was just amazing experiences. And years later, I mean, I left Body Electric and teaching that specific method in 92. So it's... 25 years later, I meet people in the street, I meet people in different cities, and they say, I took a class from you. And they say, oh, what was the big draw? What was your big draw? And they know it, and they say it was formative. And some people didn't have any experience because they held it or they didn't do it. It was quite a powerful class. And I taught it a couple of times in New Mexico, and then I decided I would teach it in San Francisco, in Oakland. And The Advocate, which was the National Gay Magazine, so they did a front page article that was on the front page. And after that, I got invitations to teach this in cities all over the United States and Canada, and then Europe. And within a year, 1987, because of this article, I was teaching in 25 or 30, 25 different cities. Every weekend, I was going someplace,
0: Celebrating the Body
1: Erotic. It's called Celebrating the Body Erotic, and it's still called that. And, it's, and what's interesting is it served people in the AIDS era, and now it serves, I talk to people, it serves different people. A lot of people in that era who took these classes from me, a lot, became therapists, or some became therapists. And they are recommending to their clients, maybe uh, people who've been in a heterosexual marriage, and are coming and divorced and coming out as a gay person or as a bisexual person, so they are sending their people to celebrating the body erotic to have this communal erotic experience because they know what it is. I didn't just sit down and work this out. My life has been like a process where I'm bringing things in and trying it. And my massages, I would take a class and try one thing from that class in my massage. And so the class constantly changed. And one
0: of the things about the early Body Electric days that strikes me is that beyond these workshops, you were weaving an international fellowship of gay men. And Body Electric became this touch point, an organizing principle for a certain community of gay men. And it was gay men who wanted to feel empathy and erotic connection to one another um, in this time of fear as you said
1: so one of the things i now can look back and name it more easily but one of the things was we were exploring a not a normal experience of sex of sexual arousal it was communal and it was intense and we were present more than maybe some people are in their sexual experience So it was incredibly what we would call embodied. People were really in their body, amazingly so. And they go, I want this. So I was actually offering the experience, a version of the experience that I had from that priest that didn't involve my, my penis, but it was where I woke up and felt I have a body and I can live my life in this body and with this aliveness. That was the foundation. People having this embodied experience and that they could do this with people they didn't know well or that they knew well or with their lovers there were so many people who met lovers in that class and one thing i'm proud of is in, a, in just a few years i would guess three or four hundred people left their jobs and became erotic masseurs giving this massage there are people who go i want to do this all the time so Body electric, the first time I went to Berlin, I looked in the paper and there were people advertising body electric massage. This is because of that that experience. So it's this embodied experience, which is the foundation for powerful connections. I think when you have that communal experience, people wanted to stay with these people in community. And... For most people, it was in, it was involved in the city you were in. So the people in New Mexico got more intense, but there was a huge community in um, in Atlanta and in San Diego and in Minneapolis and in Toronto, and they would have potlucks and erotic massage nights and all kinds of gatherings because these people wanted to come together to foster this sense of aliveness. At this time, early on, was in the middle. The epidemic kept getting worse. There was no, until 1995, there was no um, end. It was just a death, a quick death sometimes. There was uh, poisonous medications. So, so there was this huge fear of sex, and this was a sexual community of people who had a type of sex and knew a type of sex that was joyous and uh, fun and could be the basis for relationships and communal relationships. When this got bigger and I traveled around the world and traveled around the United States, more and more people traveled from one city to the other to take this and met each other. So there were people networks of people meeting each other who had this experience and wanted more of it. And many people were very creative and going their own, taking this and going their own directions and, uh, starting classes on their own and teaching different, uh, embodied things for gay men so there's a lot of this happening and the best thing for me is i never in all my traveling for years stayed in a hotel i stayed in people's homes i uh, who invited me there um and there became this network what happened this really started in 87 what happened in 1990 is i decided i wanted to have a longer class and invite people who had had this beginning experience to go deeper. And I took uh, Walt Whitman's phrase, the dear love of comrades, and I had this six-day class. And people came, and they did go deeper. And here's where people from all over the world, including from Europe, met each other. And so this is where the international networking and the national networking really got intense. I then saw a lot of people were going from these classes to become erotic masseurs. And the and right in 1988, Nancy Corbett Quells published a book called Sacred Prostitute. And I realized that this, that there was some, my background in the Jesuits was to be of service, that here were a mythology of people who are of service through their body and through a body at experience. And so I wanted to I decided, and I recognized that there were sacred prostitutes in classes that I could see that's their gift, but nobody affirms that gift because who who can recognize that? And uh, I found that that's one of the things that I did a lot. I could see who had that gift. Anyway, and one year later, I still taught Dear Love of Comrades, but I taught a thing called sacred intimate training. And I used the term sacred intimate. I was going to use sacred prostitute, but again, people said, the pro- it, for some people it was not a word they wanted to use, prostitute. So sacred intimate became those who want to be of service to the culture. And again, these are mostly gay men, so it was about how to be with people when they're dying. That was part of it. And how to be with people to initiate them into this way of sex, how to, uh, so it was, it was all body-based. Um, And the sacred intimate training people came from all over the world. And there are still other groups of people have used this term and offer trainings in being of service through the erotic. So I'm I'm very happy with that. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. So can you talk about one of these workshops you were teaching? Um, As far as I understand, it was an ecstatic breathwork workshop. And along with 25 gay men, there was also a woman named Annie Sprinkle. (laughs) Can you talk about meeting Annie Sprinkle, how you two really started what has been a lifelong love affair. You call each other spouse and husband and wife. Um, And this was my path to you was through Annie Sprinkle. The two of you are very much um, comrades. So how did you meet Annie and how did your work and collaboration start to unfold?
1: This was one of the most important, another, this was like that massage. It was, uh, my most important encounter. But I got a call one day in my office and this woman was editing Penthouse Forum and it was Annie Sprinkle. She was focusing on spirituality and she heard that I was doing a gay spirituality, but Penthouse really had nothing gay about it. But I put out some audio tapes about Taoism in this that she somehow found and listened to called Ecstatic Sex, Healthy Sex. So she called to say hello, and that she wanted to sell these in Penthouse and talk about them. So she put this big ad in, and I think at that time it was huge. There was like four million copies of it, was not the big penthouse, it was the Penthouse Forum, was smaller, but four million copies, and I think seven people ordered those tapes from a said gay, gay, gay in it. I met Annie Sprinkle on the phone. And so I was going to New York to teach. I decided I wanted to meet her and she wanted to meet me. We met and that first meeting, first we sat in a coffee house. And um, it's easier to look back and see it, but I felt it right then. There was something extraordinary. Now I can name, here is somebody who's had a similar awakening in their body she had had this awakening through the erotic also, different but similar. It wasn't as communal, although she did have a communal sense. But, uh, and she was a, she had been a prostitute. She'd been uh, in porn, more than 100 porn videos. And she was also concerned about AIDS and doing AIDS work. This is 1987, I guess. Anyway, we talked about everything. There was just this connection and it was i don't like the term soulmate but if i ever would apply it it would be to annie and so for 35 years whatever 87 is we've been intimates we've been there's never been a time she lived in new york and i lived here even that there's there's we've been intimately connected she moved to the bay area we don't live together we're closer now than ever uh, luckily, erotic massage is, she likes my emphasis on erotic massage. Although, as a gay man, I did have a sexual relationship with her. She, I remember early on having, a, having sex with her, and she could just read what's going on. She goes, Joe, this is okay. You can keep going. You can be a gay man and do this, <laughs> have sex with me. And I just remember, like, shut up, Annie. Anyway. <laughs> She was quite a force. She's a force of nature, she's an artist. But it comes, it, part of it is sourced in the erotic and her, her wisdom and knowledge of the erotic. And so was mine. At this time, I, could, I was in the middle of it. I didn't know this, I didn't know, I didn't have the vision of this about her or me, but we were like this. And right away she said, why, why don't you do this celebrating the body erotic for women? I want you to do it for women. And women need this. Um, And and eventually I did create a massage with her for women. And it is taught for women and it came from Annie Sprinkle.
0: Do you mean you started giving her full body massage and then together because you had this connection you were able to kind of map the erotic massage you were doing onto her vulva and start articulating that vulva massage?
1: So what happened is I said, I said, uh, the vulva is uh, uncharted territory for me, the vulva. um, I'm an expert on throbbing penises, but uh, vulvas, no. And I had rather limited experiences. A gay man who was a Jesuit for 10 years and then wandering through the gay underworld, and there have been a couple, just a couple experiences with women. So, but what happened is... At one point I said, I want to develop an erotic massage. And it was it didn't work. We sat rather than within a massage and went through her vulva and tried and tried different strokes and what so I explored her over a long period of time. This developed over, I would say, the core of this massage, we named the strokes and things. It's probably five different sessions, but I remember she was going to go on, she was doing a performance at Highways, a performance center in L.A. She's wait. We were. We, she had an hour. She's well. Let's let's work on some massage strokes because because and because it was pleasurable. We just tried things looking for arousal. Anyway, I I met her and she wanted to come to classes and I was teaching a class in breathing for gay men at a yoga studio on 14th Street in New York. This is again, 88 probably. So I said, sure, why don't you come? And there were 50 gay men came to this breath class, and Annie, and we did all this breathing. And one of the exercises, but I had people go in the middle of this circle, it was a big circle, to feel what it's like to be in the middle breathing, or five men going in the circle. Well, then Annie said, I'd like to go in the middle. And Annie went in the middle, and she was breathing, And she went into this state that was beyond description. And she had this orgasmic experience that everybody could feel. And she was using everybody else's experience. So she was like the assemblage point, some shamanic work we call it, of this. And it wasn't erotic. We had our clothes on. Our clothes were on for this experience. She had this experience And she has told it later that it was the most intense experience of her life up to that point. I said, yeah, you had sex with 50 men. But it was, again, she knew the power of, she trusted the power, and she knew how to let go. That's it. That's part of some real sexual wisdom, to let go into the unknown and invite the creativity in, and and she did it that time. And (laughs) I remember going home and saying, yes, we have to we have to develop Celebrating the Body Erotic for Women. I've, uh, I've only been working with half of the population. Um, the other thing we, that Annie Sprinkle did is she was on a lot of college campuses, and so a lot of college sex radicals met her. And they would then, after they graduate, uh, some head to San Francisco, because it, it was a place of great sexual exploration, and familiar. And Annie would, often, I would meet them, and that's how I met you, you through Annie Sprinkle, but I met the people who work with me now for 25 years. I met through Annie Sprinkle. It's it's almost biblical. My people will be your people, you know, mm-hmm. and Old Testament marriage, you know, here we are together. Um, and so we've done projects together. I've written part of her book. She's helped me with videos. We've made videos together. She's, my fiercest critic. So I've made 100 hours of video, sex education video, and I was doing one early on with her. And I brought some lights that I had bought at Woolworths that were like, like light in there that you plug in and clamp on. She goes, what are those? And I said, they're the lights. She said, she said Joe, the worst porn video that I've ever been in had more lights than that. (laughs) She says that, and that's, at that moment, I realized from that point on, I had the best best video cameras, the best lighting, the best people, the best sound. It's like, if I want to communicate something, she's right, let's do the best. Let's have the highest quality possible. Thank you, Annie. So
0: So what up until this point was the awareness of, the anus in the work and how did you meet Chester and how did Chester's teachings get integrated here?
1: So early on in my massages about this, about first the anus and then to Chester Maynard. Um, so for some men, let me go back. The statistics in the late in the seventies were that only about 20% of gay men, And in fact, before the 70s, in the 60s and 70s, only about 20 percent was anal sex their major way. Although this is what was thought, Um, oral sex and masturbation with men was play was you know furtively or whatever was was more common. But many of the men who came to me for massage, and I was giving this Taoist erotic massage, their major way of having sex had been anally, and so in the AIDS they. This was a taboo, and in about, I don't remember, 80, in the mid to late 80s, Ray Stubbs was a sex teacher, a heterosexual sex teacher, and he had an accident and has been in a wheelchair for the last 30 years, but this is before the accident, and he invited, and he, in the AIDS era, he was very careful, he was one of the first ones to really bring gloves and hygiene to heterosexual environments. But he offered a class in anal massage and he invited gay men because he wanted, he wanted to explore this. And I go, Oh my God. And so I took this class, but I had tried a little bit anal, but I'd never really had a class and where there's a pedagogy. You there was some hygiene first, you had there was a bathing, and then there was. The external, the sphinct, external sphincter, and the internal sphincter, and penetration, and vi- all this, and so he taught it like a massage class, and I was a massage teacher, and that was an awakening. So that I then took that, not exactly his structure, but he initiated me and gave me permission to do that, and that was then in my individual sessions, and in um, I thought I'm teaching these classes all over the United States. I thought I can include the anus, so. The first time I did was in 1990, and when, dear love of comrades, when people came from all these places who'd had the erotic massage experience, I also included an anal, maybe one or two anal there. But I, I may have taught some shorter anal classes, I'm not sure. But when I started to teach it again, it was my hands, recognizing the importance of this part of the body to the degree that I hadn't and that I had been separated myself from my own pleasures. And in my explorations, I found probably less than 10% of men had included their anus in masturbatory play. Uh, Those that did, I would call creative people and were really explorers, what more is possible. And I think a lot of heterosexual men as boys explored their anal area, it was just a, a, a pleasurable place to include with, a, with masturbation. So that was, so it became something that I taught in small doses till about 1990. But in 1990, later on in the year, there was even a six-day class, and the teacher for that was Chester Maynard. And it was called Exploring the Land Down Under. And Chester, I know kind of our meeting, I taught a class in Minneapolis that I, one of the early, I think 1988, of Celebrating the Body Erotic. And Chester drove up, he was in Madison, Wisconsin. So he drove to Minneapolis and took this class. And I really have no memory of him in this class, although he said we talked. But I talked to lots of people. Every week I was meeting 25 to 40 men with their clothes off. And for the most part, it wasn't talking. We were breathing and doing all these exercises. But he but he took that class. A few months later, I taught a class in Madison, Wisconsin. And he contacted me and said, I really want to talk with you. And it, most of these classes were these weekend classes where you go home at the end of the day. This one was at a retreat center. It was actually at a that it used to be a convent, a, a monastery for nuns. It was a convent, so it was a retreat center now. And Chester said, "I'm coming. I want to meet you, and uh, and talk," because he felt there's he he was really moved and resonated. So I remember going to going there and meeting him and getting to know him and talking. He asked me all about what I was doing at Body Electric, and told me some of what he was doing. And he also was involved with AIDS education. He was also involved in the medical school where he helped doctors learn to give prostate exams. So that was, so he was, I go, oh, I'm, I'm just starting to explore anal areas also. So that's where I met him and that still was contained. It was another person that was wonderful and important, but I didn't know how that was going to evolve. The summer after I was there, which maybe was, could have been 88, but maybe 89, uh, he just showed up in, in uh, Oakland at my school one day. He didn't tell me he was coming. He walked in, and I don't know if he had a friend with him, and I remember sitting and talking to him and feeling a sense, almost like Annie Sprinkle, that there was great uh, resonance. Um, you were talking about neurobiology. I know Daniel Siegel calls it interpersonal neurobiology that your brain and all this you' you're interacting. Well, it was happening, and he had been through two classes and uh, with me and sent friends and all this. So um, he had not used the breathing before, so that was an that was an element that he was using. He was in the sewer also. Anyway, we talked. And I was traveling so much, it was difficult for me to run the massage school and to teach classes. Because I was also running a massage school that had non-erotic classes that trained massage therapists. And he told me he was a massage therapist. So I said, good, do you want a job? (laughs) And because I resonated with him, he says, yes, I'm out here. And so I hired him, and I remember I taught a class and he assisted me. And um, then he taught the first class by himself, and he became the most amazing, he became the most amazing massage teacher I have ever met. He taught breath classes, he taught a seven day breath class, and it was the best class that I've ever been in, was that seven day class with Chester. Anyway, he became known around the Bay Area by, and as a massage teacher, and as a masseur, I went to he was my masseur. He lived in the Berkeley Hills and he had a little place and it was wonderful. And I went, went to him for massage. Um, and we were colleagues and we didn't socialize. And I remember during that, the, that era, I didn't socialize a lot because every weekend I was traveling and we were about, he was also, he was teaching and we we're in the middle of this AIDS epidemic. I can't, tell you how horrible it was. It was really horrible, and yet there was these joyous things that we were doing. We were like light in the darkness, with the things that we were doing, truly. And yet the darkness was affect, affected all of us. It was, it was the most... It was a wonderful and a terrible time, most terrible time of my life. Yeah. And yet... And what happened is very quickly, Chester came became to be, um, I trusted him as somebody whose process was like mine, taking in the new, using his creativity. And he wasn't taking what I have and using it as a script. He would take some of the things, but he, he was his own process. And so there, he was a very creative person. And, I, I was continuing that too, so it was, and Annie is, is that same way. And Annie became good friends with Chester, of course. That's part of this international network. Um, so I wanted somebody else to teach Celebrating the Body Erotic. And I did some, because I was being invited all kinds of places. I was the only person teaching this weekend. So I did a training for four other men And a couple of them weren't really good and didn't really pan out. But Chester took that training and he did that class and liked it and evolved it. And what he said, he was a good critic of me. He says, he says, your version of it is way too Christian. He said, don't say anything Christian, but I know it's Christian (laughs) because of my background. He says, mine is pagan. He came from some powerful place. And I would call it shamanic. people might call what I do shamanic, but I can't it might be, but he actually knew how to translate energy and feel and sense things, and he used his he used his speaking we both used our speaking differently for me he taught it differently, and yet the effect was parallel and similar, so there I I knew that other people could teach this um, and take it their own direction. Uh, Chester's shamanic uh, magic and my, actually my, my, my class, I'll tell you, I don't know how this happened, but during the big draw, a half a dozen people saw Jesus every class. I never brought this up. People may have known my background. I never brought up Christianity. and one friend, Jim Curtin, who also taught with me here in LA he became a teacher, said um, that he, that he judged how good the class was by how many people saw Jesus <laughs> at the end. But Chester, it, there was no what was interesting is nobody saw Jesus when he did it, but they had other experiences so this,
0: wild turkeys fill the room so there's the shamanic i guess <laughs> yeah. and it's
1: and it's, yeah. it's again this neuro it's not woo we are communicating from our core things that are in us and so and they got communicated to these people and so it's very important if you're doing this work to know what you're communicating not just with your words but with who you are with your embodiment your way of embodiment mm. anyway he went on and became the best teacher. He stayed on when I sold Body Electric. He taught a little bit the, the weekend classes, but mostly he taught massage and advanced massage classes. And then in the early 2000s, Annie Sprinkle said to me once, let's, we're bored. What if we go and get PhDs together? His and her PhDs. And I had no interest really in academic study. I did that in the Jesuits. But she said, let's do that. So we went to a school in San Francisco, the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, and got PhDs. At the end of that, I remember at the end of two plus years, almost three years, I said, this has been the most three most unembodied years of my life while I'm getting a PhD in human sexuality. So I said to the school, I have an approach to sexuality that I would like to teach. I said, I'd like to teach a class. So at the school, I started teaching sexological bodywork, And I worked with psychotherapists, Jack Warren was one, other people. And so I crafted a profession that the state of California gave its approval. So this was a breakthrough in the United States. It was the first profession, I guess, other than a doctor or somebody who's touching genitals, this was for pleasure. We could teach. And we could teach through genitals. And to jump ahead, there's now six schools in the world that teach sexological body work. It's legal in much of the world. Um, it's, uh, there's 2,000 people now who've been through trainings. And so it's become a profession. So we did this once a year at the beginning. And in the third year, he had a brain tumor that first acted up and he had just a small uh started just in his hand was paralyzed and he came with his hand paralyzed in the class and was in the class and went through the whole class and he could he could barely move it and he was teacher he was co-teaching with me and he taught and it was really quite amazing for somebody with a disability to be totally present in his body and acknowledging that and and Fiercely going forward, and that was that was the most amazing training. the brain tumor, as you know, got worse, and he was in a wheelchair uh, somewhat immobile the next year and i um, I remember I don't know if you were living together at the time, but I remember saying he's welcome to come, but I don't think he could be and he had trouble speaking also so i i I made the decision because the third training it was or something that, that he could come and participate in some way, but he couldn't go teach. And that was, I'm sure that was one of the most difficult decisions for me and for him.
0: Yeah. So that was the year, um, Charlotte, who's now my wife was in the training and I was living with Chester and going back and forth between teaching with you and taking care of Chester and, um, yeah, there's so much to say here, but his, uh, his attunement to teaching extended beyond time and space, and he was so aware of that course. And we talked about, um, and he sniffed Charlotte right out and was like, she's going to be important to you. Um, but the two of them actually never met, which is mm. interesting. Um, so I arrived to you in 2003. Um, I had met Annie Sprinkle at Vassar College and had fallen in love with her. And she invited me to come work with her in San Francisco. Um, And so I moved out to San Francisco. And a few months into that, I remember exactly where I was. I was in Rainbow Grocery in the bulk seaweed section. And I got a call from Annie and said, um, I want to introduce you to my friend Joe Kramer. He has some work for you. And so in 2003, I showed up on your doorstep. And we started working together. Um, And your first real insistence, it wasn't really even an option, was to go get training with Chester. Um, I exchanged work with you and then went and got massage training and sacred intimate training and breath training with Chester. Um, And the first real project we worked on together was the anal massage DVDs, um, which was capturing Chester's anal massage techniques on film. And this was like the first project you and I really worked on together and I almost quit because, you know, my history had been a lot of anal abuse and anal trauma. And so when you said we're going to produce an anal massage teaching, I was almost out of there. And then I tell the story of showing up that first day on the video set, which is the first time I met Chester and watching him touch a butt and just tears streaming down my face. and seeing for the first time a body touched with reverence and love. Um, and that was the beginning of my love affair with Chester. Um, and you know, when I look back on the timing, it feels like such a huge time in my life, but it was it really about three years um, that I was working with you and this was right when sexological body work started. Um, and soon you and I really set out to write the homeschool curriculum for that course and codify it as a profession um, so, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is enough and we can stop here. Um,
1: Looking back at our two, hour, two and a half hours, mm-hmm. I just want to see something. So, the 70s, the late 60s and the 70s were also this, this is the Vietnam War, and it was the era of hippies. And I want to be free. This was freedom. And it was often freedom from political structures. What I've learned over the years is there's is none of that was about freedom from structures that we have, limiting ourselves, our habits, our own. That maybe has been inculcated in us, but these are the structures in here, and so. But I really resonated with that freedom and liberation, and it became in me that freedom is important and. Over the years, when I look back, I feel that's what I was teaching, not knowing it, that this is this was a liberation act, and people get free through their own body. And when you're free in your body, when you're opened up, you can make good decisions. How can you even, if you're not feeling your body, how do you even know who you love? And you can... The thing that I like now is deciding what's enough and what's not enough. Most people don't know what's enough. This is enough talking, this is enough with you, enough sex, enough food, alcohol, whatever. So I just, I'm really happy looking back. I didn't think in these terms, but I'm really proud that it was a liberation for a lot of people. It's a a sexual liberation. You know, freedom. I think my greatest freedom, our greatest freedom, is our ability to place our attention. And what we were doing then is placing our attention on a capacity of our body that was offline. It was the Catholic Church and all this is don't place your attention there. We placed our attention at a place that was extraordinary. And one last thing for this little part. I, at 72... As a sexual being at 72, let me just speak for myself about myself. There's times when I masturbate and I go, I'm so glad I'm Joe Kramer. I'm so glad I learned how to masturbate and have this experience. That's what I mean by Joe Kramer. I'm glad I had this process. I'm 72 and having amazing experiences with masturbation. It's not paltry, it's not, you know, it's, it's just quite amazing because of that init- initiation, that liberation. I'm glad you're doing this recording this. I'd really like to record. I would really like to find have dozens of other people almost tell their what that opening did because for a lot of people, they close and they it opened, but they don't have the capacity to keep it open, which is through practice. I didn't really understand it that day time and now I do in my work. It's so when you have that somatic opening, that people had with Taoist erotic massage and breathing or in a, a massage, you can keep that open, but you have to practice it in your body because your body naturally closes. So well, I think
0: you have to be living in a culture that can support it.
1: Yes. or that. So
0: I'm seeing it as I think we're at a, a point now where sexual liberation is being articulated as part of the greater movements of our time. So what have these lineages taught us and prepared us for this next cultural moment where we're remaking sexuality and gender as a culture? Um, And how do we support one another in communal sexual liberation with these technologies that have trained us in what sexual liberation means and looks like individually?
1: Amen, yes.
0: Amen, indeed. We will leave it there. You can find all of Joe Kramer's erotic education at eroticmassage.com or use the links in the show notes page to access his generous library of erotic education for your hands and heart. And come on over to pleasuremechanics.com for our complete podcast archive and go to pleasuremechanics.com free. And we'll get you started with our favorite techniques and strategies right away. Thank you so much to Joe for sharing his story with us. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back with you next week with another episode of Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Cheers.